Our topic tonight, out of Revelation chapter 8, and actually technically 8 and 9, the seven trumpets, Revelation 8, 2, says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So seven, of course, seven is a symbolic number. We've already had the seven congregations and the seven seals, and now we have the seven trumpets. So the seven, seven, seven. So each one paralleling and matching up and seven showing completion. God created the earth in seven days and all the earth was created and it was good and very good and all that he had done. And so here again, seven showing us the completion as we've seen with the seven congregations and the seven seals, as well as all the chapters in Daniel. Each one took us from the time of the prophet to the very end of time. And we're gonna see that again tonight, going from the time of John, taking us through the periods, complete periods, complete Earth's history, to the very end of time as this Earth knows, as we know it on this Earth. Okay, so these are the seven trumpets. Trumpets were used for announcing various different things, including announcing a time for war. And we'll see this in this chapter, a lot of war and, and this judgment time in these seven trumpets. That's the focus here. Okay, verse 3. Another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. The angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. Okay, so we have here... Uh, underlined golden censer at the altar, uh, incense and golden altar. Where do we see those words? What is that describing? Where do we have that in the Bible? Where else in the Bible is these, where else is it describing? In the temple, correct. In the earthly temple that God had Moses built and then Solomon elaborated on, there was a golden altar with incense on it that was burned on it. And that's what it's describing here, but it's not talking about the earthly one that Moses or Solomon built. He's talking here in the heavenly. So again, we've seen over and over again that the heavenly is the original heavenly sanctuary, the temple in heaven, that the earthly was a model of so that we can understand what God is doing in heaven. And we don't understand, didn't know that there's a uh, a, a, a temple in heaven, a sanctuary in heaven, and we don't understand the pattern in the earthly sanctuary in, described in the Torah and other books of the Bible and what they were doing, then we won't understand what Yeshua is doing in heaven for us right now as our Kohen Gadol, our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And so that's why it's very important that we understand how it comes together here. God's giving us a window into heaven and what is taking place there in his intercession. Now, the golden altar was placed, there were two altars in the temple. One was a brazen altar, a bronze altar, it was at the very front of the sanctuary. As you came in through the gate, through the curtains, that was the first thing that was there, and animals were sacrificed there for the forgiveness of sins. And there were other items, labor, and then you came to uh, the tabernacle inside the temple, and inside that, there were two compartments, the holy place and the most holy place. And in the holy place were three items, the menorah, the table of showbread, and an altar, the golden altar, where incense was burned on. So it's right there, 
Before then, a curtain, and then behind the curtain is the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies, and where the Ten Commandments are, and the Ark of the Covenant is. So that's as close as it gets. It goes right up to there, the altar right there. And that's what it says here, that the, that the smoke of his incense with the prayers of all the saints ascend before God from the angel's hand, and the angel took the sin. Okay, so, uh, I'm sorry, right before that. Um, and the golden altar, which was before the throne. So in heaven, the golden altar is there right before God's throne. In the earthly, the altar is right there before a curtain, and behind the curtain is the Ark of the Covenant with a seat called the mercy seat, and God's Shekinah glory, God's presence there. So like the Ark of the Covenant is God's throne, right? And so God is seated upon his throne with the Ten Commandments there and the angels beside him. And that's the symbolism that the earthly sanctuary was copying there. Uh, now, the, then he takes this censer and takes it, fills it with, uh, with fire, and he threw it to the earth. Now, the incense and the, and the, um, the fire was a special fire. Abraham's, or rather Aaron's two sons, die because they offered a strange fire on the earthly altar in the earthly sanctuary. So here he's taking fire from the altar and throws it to the earth. The fire or the coals that were in that altar came from the first altar, from the altar in the front of the sanctuary. And those coals were burnings from the wood that was placed there and from the animal sacrifices. That's what made the coals. And so the animals are burned up, whatever remaining blood, whether the blood was poured around the altar, uh, but any remaining came down and burned up and burned. And so those altars are covered, or rather the, 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 the uh, coals are covered with the sacrifice, the ashes of the sacrifice. Those are the coals that are taken and then brought in and kept the altar of incense, the golden altar, burning and burned the incense. So Aaron's children, two sons, probably took strange fire, probably brought fire from somewhere else. Instead of taking it from that, they just took it from anywhere else, not covered with the forgiveness and the mercy of the sacrifices there. Because the prayers that are offered on this, on this altar need to be covered with the sacrifice of the Messiah. That's why we play, pray in Yeshua's name. It's not just like that we're letting God know we're at the end of the prayer by just saying that. That's like, you know, goodbye at the end or a salutation at the end. No, we're praying in his name. We're praying in his righteousness. We're praying under his covering that he has, that our prayers are nothing of ourselves, but it's because of what he has done in our behalf, because of his righteousness, because of his goodness, that our prayers have any worth and merit and right to come before the throne of God. So, uh, so, that's the, so this is the, so he takes this fire and he throws it to the earth. Like Satan was cast out of heaven and thrown down to this earth. So he's throwing this fire down to the earth. So we have mercy, we have the incense, we have the prayers of the saints. We have the, the coals that are, have the mercy and the sacrifice of the Messiah. But yet we still have judgment being thrown down, being cast down to the earth. And so it's God's judgments, but we're going to see his judgments are still mixed with mercy. As we go through the seven trumpets, they're all mixed with some mercy of God. Okay, verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets 
prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded, hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. A third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass. So it says a third were burned up. So a third, meaning not everyone, not all of it, right? So that's mercy right there. It wasn't 100%, it was only a third of it. So there's mercy there, God showing mercy, and we'll see that in all these trumpets. God's mercy demonstrated there, but yet still judgment taking place. Now that's all it writes, the Bible has, about the first trumpet. Not a whole lot to go on. Right? And so if, we're, if we don't have the pattern, if we don't see a pattern in Daniel and Revelation, we're not following this pattern that's been set up all the way from Daniel chapter 2 through each one of the chapters, taking us again from the time of the prophet to the end of time, then this could be anything. It could, you could just pin, throw, a, throw a dart in history anywhere or in the future anywhere and say, oh, in the future there's going to be this and, and, and one-third of the trees on the earth is going to be burned up and all the grass is going to be burned up. And you can make a nice movie out of that and be really, you know, some real graphics and make it look really terrific and that'll sound good. But uh, with one verse it's hard to pin it down, but it's the whole chapter, the whole two chapters that help us to pin down, and not just the two chapters here, but again, the whole book of Revelation, the whole book of Daniel, and the whole theme that we've been seeing throughout. So going with that theme that it's these periods of time taking us from John's day to the end, then this would be that first judgment taking place, and mentions fire, trees could be, and we see in the Bible, trees sometimes mean God's people, people represented by trees, um, all the trees of the field will clap their hands, right? I'm talking about the literal trees clapping their branches, right? The people of God clapping their hands and other places. People represented as trees. And so it could mean the destruction of Jerusalem when it was burned with fire, burned so intensely, the gold melted and they knocked down the stone walls and all of the temple was destroyed. And we just had this temple analogy of the censer. So the temple being destroyed in 70 AD and Jerusalem being destroyed, and then again, even more of a destruction in 135 AD. So Rome destroying uh, Jerusalem, I believe is the application here, the, the fulfillment of that. And we'll see again as we see the sequence following through, God's judgments. Verse eight, the second angel sounded, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Right? Well, that's a lot. You know, so again, the third, the third, the third, right? Third of the ships, third of the seas, third uh, filled with blood. Third of the creatures in the sea died. That's a lot. So again, mercy demonstrated here. That's the point of the one third. God's mercy. Great mountain. Mountain can represent a kingdom, um, a nation. And this is, I believe, it's the judgments against Rome. Rome is the next power there. And so Rome, God's judgments upon Rome in the sequence of history. And Rome ruled over the area that surrounded the Mediterranean Sea. They had like 100% of all the land on the Mediterranean Sea. Well, the only way to be able to conquer that and the only way to maintain that is with a fabulous navy and ships that are able to bring army as well as transporting goods all through the kingdom. We've seen pictures of that as we've done this, uh, this Daniel and Revelation series. We've seen the, the kingdom of Rome covering the Mediterranean. So they had a lot of ships and were very strong in, the, in their naval force. Well, uh, a group of, called the Vandals, which were out of North Africa, they decided to attack Rome, and they did so by sneaking ships, bringing ships at night, loading them down with 
with explosives and they would get them in among the fleets of Rome and then blow the ships up, which would then ignite on fire because it's like a kamikaze ship and it would burn up the other ships. And historians talk about hundreds of ships in a night getting burned. And one uh, place I even read that there was a, a night where 1,100 Roman ships were burned up out of uh, 1,300. I mean, that's a devastating blow that the Vandals did. And we still use this term Vandals today, right? What's the word that we had that come from the, the Vandals? Vandalism, right? Vandalism, and that's from this group that were called the Vandals. And this is how they would do it. They would do it sneakily at night. Not that Rome was nice, but they, but they came and did this vandalism against Rome on the seas, fire on the seas, blood on the seas, the, the, the soldiers on the ships, and, and devastating Rome's uh, military naval uh, operations that way. And that's again, all it says on the second trumpet. Not a whole lot there. The third trumpet, verse 10. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. All right, so again, we have the third of the rivers and of the streams, uh, springs of water being affected here by this wormwood and a third of the water is becoming bitter as a result and people dying as a result. And so again, it's not literal here. We're not talking literalism. Again, this is revelation. But we just saw the vandals attacking using the sea against Rome. Well, now another group is attacking. We have again several attacks and Rome falling piece by piece over time and several attacks. And you have, you have the Eastern Rome and you have Western Rome. So now we have this attack coming from where the springs come from. Well, springs are from the mountains, and the rivers come down from the mountains and from the snow melt and come down and feed the cities down below. Well, they, they were also attacked, Rome was also attacked from the mountains by the Huns. Right? Who is the famous leader of the Huns? Attila, Attila the Hun, exactly, Attila the Hun. We know him now hundreds of years later, over a thousand years later, he's still another guy by name. Such a horrible, horrible guy. Again, Rome was not nice, but this guy, he had to be really tough to take on Rome, and he took on Rome and caused severe damage to the kingdom, helping bring it down. He was among the barbarian tribes. They were the Huns. We get Hungarian today from the Huns. So the barbarian tribes, and we still use that term today, a barbaric, right, barbaric action, a barbaric person, barbarians. And so they came down, uh, he would pull people apart and, and, and kill people in cruel ways, um, but they fought against Rome and inflicted uh, damage against Rome, coming from the mountainous areas, and wormwood being bitter, caused very bitter experiences upon the villages and everywhere they left, torched earth kind of a situation. They just come through and just cause a lot of damage and bitterness in people's lives and a lot of bitter experience to the Roman Empire. Um, and he called himself the, 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 the scourge of God. Right? He came and inflicted this damage on the Roman Empire. Okay, fourth trumpet. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Okay, and that's all it says on that. Not a lot. 
to go on and we're just picking and just trying to make it up or trying to find it somewhere in, in the history or news or in the future just what it is. But what took place next is we go down to history. We come to, well, if you have one-third of the sun, one-third, what's going to happen? What are you going to have if one-third of the sun, one-third of the stars is not shining its light? We're going to experience a period of darkness, right? That's what it says, that there'd be darkness. It would not shine. They would be darkened. So we'd have darkness. So we have the dark ages. And that's the next thing we see in the sequence of history, the dark ages. Uh, I just saw an interesting um, little post that someone said, we, we've seen what happens when, when religion rules, or Christianity, say when Christianity rules over the nations, we end up with the dark ages. And uh, that was very poignant, poignant but, and not exactly accurate, because it wasn't real Christianity, but it was this apostate Christianity ruling over, we went from the Roman Empire to the Holy Roman Empire, and we went from the pagan Roman Empire to the papal Roman Empire, and ushered in the Dark Ages, where the Bible is outlawed, which is so kind of ironic, a, a Christian nation outlawing the Bible, right? So that's... It just you know, it's the apostasy that was there. It wasn't the true, but ultimate power, unleashed power. This is what it did: persecuting power. And so we had darkness because we didn't have the word of God. We didn't have the light of the world. People were plunged into uh, superstition as a result of not having the truth and not having the word of God, not having that light shining in their minds. And it affects every aspect of our life then. So. Economics was horrible, and, and social, soci sociologically, it was a dark period um, uh, as far as um, in innovation was dark. It was really not a lot of growth through that time into the dark ages, and that's what it says here. And it, using the, the sun and the moon and the stars, well, in the Bible we have Joseph that has a dream, and the sun and the moon and the stars, they bow down to him, right? And in that Dream, he gives the, the interpretation. What do the, the sun, the star, the moon, and the stars represent? His father, his mother, and his brothers. Right? And they got upset. Hey, you're saying we're going to bow down to you? Right? So he's got the leaders, right? His leaders, his parents, the family, right? And so we have this attack on, on the Roman, on the leaders, taking place at one third, that that's where the attack is on the leadership. And now, if these things are literal, a lot, of, a lot of people try and make it literal and say this is literal and it's going to be in the future. How long would the earth last if one-third of the sun was blackened? One-third of the stars were blackened. One-third of the moon was blackened. Wouldn't last at all. We'd go into an ice age very quickly. <laughs> right? Talk about global cooling. Right? We'd have global cooling rapidly and everyone would die. And we have all these one-thirds, you know, one-third of the sun and one-third of the rivers and one-third of the sea and, and one-third of the trees and all the grass. I mean, there's no way the earth would survive these four trumpets if they were literal. But obviously it just keeps going. We're only into four of them. We still got three more to go. So it's not as literal and it's not this thing in the future because, again, the earth would end, as, as people living on it. But it's this prophetic of what's happening in sequencing, and we're still here. That's why it's only one-third. <laughs> People have still survived and have continued on. Now, the picture I used, used here to depict the, or to show the, the Dark Ages was a very, very famous battle 
that took place during the Dark Ages uh, between um, Sir Arthur, Sir King, King Arthur, and the Dark Knight. And if you're not familiar with that battle, it was a, it was a decisive battle that uh, King Arthur won and was able to cross the bridge. So very important in history. And if you're not familiar with that, type in your search engine, uh, King Arthur and the Dark Knight, and you'll learn all about that history in the Dark Ages. Okay. Verse 13, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. Okay, so we had this first four. It took a total of something like seven or eight verses to do four plagues, uh, four, four trumpets. And, but now he says... Whoa, whoa, whoa. You ain't seen nothing yet. You thought that was bad, one-third of the sea, and one-third of the trees, and one-third of the sun? That's nothing. Now it's going to get really bad. Whoa, whoa, whoa for the inhabitants of the earth. And again, if this was all literal, there's no way we'd make it. The inhabitants of the earth would be gone. Right? For the remaining blasts of the trumpet, the three angels that are about to sound. And now it spends, we went just a few verses, almost one verse per, per uh, trumpet. Now for these next two trumpets, it's the entire next chapter, chapter nine, on just two. And then we have two more chapters, chapter 10 and 11, that describe the events between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, and then the seventh trumpet. So obviously a lot of emphasis here towards this period. So let's see what's happening with the fifth trumpet. Into chapter 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from the heaven to, fall from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now this fall, star falling from heaven, it's kind of similar to as we read in Genesis, where, uh, or not in Genesis, Revelation, where Lucifer is cast out of heaven and cast down to this earth. And then we have here this key to this bottomless pit. Now the Greek word there for bottomless pit is abyspos, where we get the word abyss from. And uh, I might be mispronouncing the Greek there a little bit, but it's where we get the word again abyss from. Now it's the same Greek word that's used there that in the Septuagint translation of the Torah, the Greek translation of the Torah, when it says in the Genesis, and the earth was without form and void, that's the word that's used there, this abyspos. So it's this time period of this earth, this area of the earth where it's void, where it's kind of desolate. Right? And so he's saying this comes to this earth, into this bottomless pit, to this abyss area, this, this desolate area of the earth, and out of it comes this next power. Verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke. And here is a picture of kind of like these Arabian horses coming out of the desert, a desolate area of the earth, a, a void area of the earth, and they're charging out of this area and the horses are kicking up the smoke, darkening the sky. 
Verse 3, And out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and they were given power as scorpions of the earth have power. So again, it's not talking about literal locusts, because it says they're like scorpions. Right? And scorpions are not like locusts, and locusts are not exactly like scorpions. But again, it's this analogy and this picture that it's painting here for us. So like locusts coming up out of the earth, causing the smoke with power. Now, locusts don't have a lot of power to hurt you or me, uh, but they will just decimate the trees, decimate the grass, decimate every green thing. But scorpions, they will sting, and they can have a potent sting that kills animals and, and bad enough can kill uh, a child. So like the scorpions of the earth, so they got power to kill or to do harm, but like locusts in spreading. And so this, the locust, as this picture here depicts, um, on the top, the yellow area shows the range of the desert locust. North Africa, across Arabia, and India. On the bottom, it shows the range of where the, 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 the red, or the pinkish there, is the area of Muslim conquest. About the same as the desert locust. So like locust coming and conquering this area. Now this North Africa area used to be Christian, where Christianity had spread, and to the north. And in some ways, uh, those areas, they were more biblical-based Christianity. But Islam came and dominated and ruled over it and killed it uh, no more. And so there you have, as we saw in Daniel, you got the king of the north, you got the northern part, the yellow part in Europe, um, ruled by Christianity, and you have the Muslims in the south and the conflicts that took place. And in this picture, at this time period shown here, uh, you see Spain, it's half and half, where Islam had come up through Spain in trying to conquer the rest of Europe. Okay, so many, uh, verse 4, and they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God in their forehead. All right, so some command not to hurt the grass, the trees, green things, but only those who do not have the seal of God. So if they have the seal of God, leave them alone. If they don't have the seal of God, let them get harmed. This is from the book, The Decline of the, and Fall of the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Talking about Islam, Muhammad's successor. This is from chapter, volume 5, chapter 51, page 189. Muhammad's successor, Abu Bakr, said, let not your victory be stained with the blood of women or children. Destroy no palm tree, nor burn any fields. Cut down no fruit trees. You will find some religious persons who live retired in monasteries and purpose to themselves to serve God that way. Let them alone and neither kill them nor destroy their monasteries. That's a very interesting Statement coming from Muhammad's successor in the conquest at that time anyway, and continue that forever, but at that point in time, as we see how it almost word for word to what we just read, don't hurt the trees, don't hurt the fields, again mentioning trees, or these religious people, leave them alone, 
We just read in verse 4, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. I think that's a very interesting parallel as it's describing Islam's uh, battles with Rome. Again, this judgment coming. Verse 7, And the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads were crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men, and they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lions. And I think, again, that kind of, if John's seeing, God's showing him prophetically what this group would look like, and in, in, in that description, he's seeing with the, the turbans blowing behind them. And so, again, this is Islam coming out of the desert area, out of the abyss, out of the void part of the earth, and attacking against Rome. And their heads were crowns like gold, again, gold turbans, and their faces like the face of men. They had beards, and their hair like women's hair, long hair, or their turban looking long, and their teeth were like lions. And again, I picture that, them riding on their horses, the Arabian knights, Arabian horses, and they got their knife in their mouth, right, like teeth like lions uh, going into battle. Verse 9, And they had breastplates like iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. So this is a significant power that it's describing here. We're up nine verses already. Nine verses, we're still in this one trumpet describing this one power. Or only some one verse or two verses max on the first, each of the first four trumpets. This is a significant power that's not just going to come and go in history, but is going to be there for a long time. And we see that Islam has been there around for a long time now. This is where Islam is mentioned in Bible prophecy. Here in this chapter, chapter 9, and in Daniel chapter 11. So people want to know where Islam is in Bible prophecy? This is it. It only makes sense. Because the Bible prophecies, Daniel and Revelation, talk about God's people and those things that are affecting God's people, God's word, and those things that are affecting God's word and the spread of God's word. And this certainly has had a dramatic effect on it. Verse, uh, chapter 9, from verse 5, And they were not allowed to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Now that's very specific. This is where we're going to really help get a stake in the ground to nail down that this is this group and when it's referring to. Five months. Not allowed to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Now, how long is five months? A biblical month is how long? How many days in a biblical month? 30. And so, how long is five months? Five biblical months? 150. Very good. 150. Right? That's 150 days. Right? And so, we have five months, 30 days in a month, 150 days. And in Bible prophecy, how long is a day? What does a day represent? A year. So 150 days represents 150 years. Right? And if you missed that, we've done that several times in the Daniel study, uh, building up to this, just like we had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because the spies were in, the, in Canaan for 40 days, a day for a year in Bible prophecy. We're using it consistently 
And that's the key to use it consistently. Those are people who try and interpret Daniel and Revelation, they will use this principle when it's convenient for them, but not consistently. We're using it consistently through Daniel and Revelation, these time prophecies, a day equals a year. So 150 years. This power is going to torment for 150 years. Not able to gain a victory, not able to kill, not able to conquer, like Medo-Persia conquering Babylon, but tormented for 150 years. Specifically, 150 years. So in July 27th, in 1299, the Ottoman Empire first invaded Nicomedia and continued to battle the Byzantines until July 27th, 1449, exactly 150 years later to the day when the last Byzantine emperor only took the crown with Turkish permission. Right, so if you need permission from your enemy to be crowned as emperor, who's really ruling? Your enemy, right. And that's the last uh, emperor, right? So he's the last one it gets, and he only gets it. So this is the, the, the downfall of it. So they battled it out, tormenting him for 150 years, and then at the end of that time, he submits to them, gets their permission, becomes emperor, and he's the last one. Now, this group, the Ottomans and the Byzantines, you might not know that so much here in American history, and I don't know if it's taught much in, in our school systems today, uh, but if you go to Israel and you go on a tour of Israel and you go to the sites of Israel and the archaeological areas, you'll see these names listed over and over and over again as they depict the time periods of Israel uh, and which group lived there and who was ruling over the area. And you'll see on these charts, you'll see the Ottoman rule over the area. You'll see the Byzantine rule over uh, Israel um, during those time periods, various time periods. And if you read anything on archaeology that's being done in Israel and they find a coin or they find some mosaic or they find uh, uh, some item, and they'll say it's from the Byzantine era or it's the Ottoman era. Because uh, again, those were long periods of time and we have a lot of artifacts that were from that area. The Byzantines were a Christian type of a group and the Ottomans were Islam, Muslim group. So, this is talking about, again, this battle between the Islam and Christianity, the Ottomans against the Byzantines. And exactly 150 years, so we're coming out of the Dark Ages, still towards the Dark Ages, towards the end of the Dark Ages, we go from 538, and we've looked at that in the time prophecies, and now we're here to 1449, and this power, five-month period of time. So the fifth trumpet, after the fourth trumpet, the fourth trumpet being the Dark Ages, and so now we're coming into this fifth trumpet at this time period. So it's fitting the timeline, and so we have it right. It comes to five, five months, 150 years, comes right where we should expect to see it come. And again, that helps solidify the whole entire interpretation, the whole entire prophecy of where we are and who are the players in these prophecies. But it's not done there. It's still more to help us to... Nail this down even better. Verse 12, one woe is past, and the sixth angel sounded, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now we're coming to the sixth seal, or sixth trumpet, the sixth angel. 
Verse 15, the four angels who had been prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year were released to kill a third of mankind. And again, not all, but a third. Right, so again, the mercy there still. And to kill, not just to torment, but now this power is going to be able to dominate and kill and rule for an hour, a day, a month, and a year. That's very, very specific. Okay, so our Bible uh, expert interpreters here, how long is a year? How long is a year in the Bible? Bible year? No? How long is a year? 360. 360 days in a year, right? So uh, how many days, right? So, how, so it's 360 days, right? So how long is 360 days with Bible prophecy? 360 years, right? So a year is 360 days, a day for every year, 360 years. And then how long is a month? 30, right? So 30 days. And so how long is that in Bible prophecy? 30 years. Right, so a month is 30 days, 30 years, so we're at 390 years, and then a day, right, so how long is a day in Bible prophecy? A year, so we got a day, a year, so we're at 391 years, and, a, um, and an hour. How long is an hour? How much of a day is an hour? 124th, right, so what is, how long is 124th of a year? What's 1 24th of 360? Close. Two weeks. Two weeks. Right? There's 12 months, so 24 is a half a month, right? Uh, or 360 divided by 24, you get 15 days. So exactly, it's prophesying here that something's going to happen at the end of 391 days, uh, 391 years, and 15 days. Now I find this prophecy very, very interesting because uh, a man named Josiah Litch, who was studying Daniel and Revelation a number of years ago, uh, came across this prophecy and he was using the day of the year principle, similar as we've been doing. And again, this, this type of stuff, this is how Isaac Newton, right? Isaac Newton, he didn't just make fig Newtons, right? Isaac Newton, he wasn't just a mathematician, he was a Bible scholar. <coughs> And he loved prophecy, and he had great writings on, on Daniel and Revelation, and he interpreted this power, the sixth, fifth and sixth trumpet, as Islam, just as we're doing today. Martin Luther also identified Islam as the power in the fifth and sixth seal. They didn't say it's all going to be in the future. They identified it as we're doing it here. So this is historical um, standard interpretation. Used to be, up until about 100 or so years ago, where then the whole futurism took place and they try and throw everything into the future. But this is how it was studied. So Josiah Litch doing that, following on the, on the shoulders of his predecessors, Isaac Newton and others, uh, using this day for year principle. And so he studied that and he said, well, if that first one ended on July 27th, 1449, and if we add 391 years and 15 days, then we must come to the end of the Ottoman empire's rule. They were able to kill, torment for that time, and they gained ascension, and then they are able to kill that long, and then after that, not anymore. So their downfall, 
And so he interpreted before it happened. It's so easy for us to look at it backwards. He interpreted it before it happened. He said on such and such a date in the future, past where he was living, that on that date we're going to see the Ottomans fall. And uh, we're going to see it's not a dramatic fall, but just like it wasn't a dramatic beginning. And they gained ascension when, when the Byzantine emperor had to ask their permission. So very similarly, we're going to see the beginning of their downfall as well. And his prediction was so outlandish at the time. You mean Ottomans are so strong, they're so powerful, they're, they're going to begin to fall? No way, not going to happen. So he wrote it up. He wrote it up and he had it published in print and was ridiculed and mocked and no one believed it or not many believed it. A lot of people didn't believe it until after it was fulfilled as he prophesied and then he received thousands of letters accepting the Bible, accepting the accuracy of the Bible, being amazed by it and giving their hearts to the Lord and acknowledging him as right. So let's see the fulfillment. So again, we have the Ottomans invaded the Byzantine Emperor Empire on July 27th, 1299. For 150 years, they continued to torment them until July 27th, exactly 150 years later, in 1449, the last Byzantine emperor takes the throne only with Turkish permission. So continuing into the next trumpet, using that same time, adding 391 years and 15 days to the downfall of the Ottoman Empire as it submitted to Europe's help in the war against Egypt on August 11th, 1840. So they're fighting against Egypt and they need help from Europe. If they're needing help from Europe, now who's, the, who's in control? Who's now the power? Who's dominating? Europe, right. So they submitted to Europe and Europe then ends up taking over the Ottoman Empire. And then eventually we have World War I where then the British totally take over the Ottoman Empire, and then we have British rule over Israel and other vast amount of land, and that's as a result of that, Ottomans falling, Europe and British in particular, ascending and then taking over that. And again, you look at any of those timelines on any of the archeological digs in Israel, you'll see then after the Ottomans is the Brits, right? And then thankfully after them, Israel again, ruling over the land of Israel. So amazingly, this is what he predicted it uh, a, a, a few months in, in advance, saying on August 11th, 1840, we're going to see Ottomans' downfall, or beginning of the downfall. And that's exactly what happened. This is they ascended gradually, they descended as this start. By needing permission, they ascended. Now they descend by needing permission and submitting and needing help. Very amazing. So again, it's taking us as we go through the timeline, it, the Dark Ages, after the Dark Ages, and to the uh, end of the Dark Ages, and then to after the Dark Ages, into 1840. In Revelation 9, verse 17, still in this chapter, still in this trumpet, those who sat on horses had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of the lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So now it, uh, in the original, it doesn't specifically say red, blue, and yellow. It says the fiery, the hyacinth, and the sulfur. 
similar as on the bottom of the fire, the smoke and the brimstone, but it's talking about their breastplate. So it's talking about what they're wearing, right? And they're not wearing fire and, and, and they're not wearing sulfur, right? But it's describing the colors of those items, the fiery red, the, the sulfur yellow, and the hyacinth blue. I think that's what it's describing. Again, they're, and, and that's how, why Bible translators, this is from a Bible, most of the Bible translations translate it this way by using the colors associated with those things, because again, it's describing their breastplate, their armor, their uniform. Now, this is a picture of some people dressing up in Ottoman garb. And what are the colors? Red, blue, and yellow. And very bright colors, exactly as mentioned in that chapter. And out of the horse's Mouths out of the heads were like lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And again, the picture with John seeing them riding on their horses, now with, not with swords and knives, now we're a little bit more advanced, and they're into the 1800s, and they're riding with, or 1700s, 1800s, they're riding with guns on their side, rifles on their side, and the, head, the, the, the front of the rifle, the, the, the barrel of the rifle, by the mouth of the the horse, and as they're shooting, smoke looking like it's coming out of the mouth, fire, brimstone, smoke, coming out of the mouth of the horses as they're charging into battle. But now again, on the colors, that's again as their garb is, and then here, I just typed into Dr. Go search engine, Ottoman army uniforms. And this is some of what I got, and I could have put a whole lot more pictures on there if I would have taken the time. And again, the fiery red, the hyacinth blue, and the sulfur yellow. And I think that's pretty amazing because those are not matching colors, right? Those are not, you know, I don't know any football team or any, uh, you know, people dressed for uh, going out on the town, going out to, to, uh, to uh, a reception, dressing in this garb. It's certainly an army. I mean, this is not camouflage. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to hide your army going into battle wearing bright red, bright yellow, and bright blue, right? I mean, it's like, I see you behind the bush. I know you're not a blueberry, you know? Boom. <laughs> it's not the way you go into war today. And this is not that long ago. But this is how they dressed. And again, this is, this is how they dressed. And for the Bible to pick out this group that we saw time-wise is this group for them to match the time period and to match their breastplate, their dress, their coat of armors, their uniforms, matching these colors, I think statistically that is impossible. I think statistically it's impossible for hundreds of years in advance for someone to predict there's gonna be an army with these three colors. I mean, no one would have these three colors, army or not army. But here a whole army dressed in these colors, crazy colors for an army. But this is what they did. This is what God saw, this is what God knew, God showed to John, and John recorded it that way. Again, very, I think, descriptive and revealing. Okay, so verse, chapter 9, Revelation 9, verse 20. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. 
They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And that's where the sixth trumpet ends. It took us to 1840, that August 11th or 27th, whatever, August 11th, I think it was. And now we're in this time period. We've got two chapters, chapters 10 and 11, that describe where we're at now until we get to the seventh trumpet. Two whole chapters. This whole chapter on just these last two woes. And certainly Islam has been a woe upon this planet. Again, I think it's a very good apt description of it. Again, trying to make a movie, locust and you know, flying and all that kind of stuff. You can make a real great movie, but it's just mundane. It's just history. <laughs> just how it lays out. Again, matching with Daniel 2 and 7 and all throughout. First seven trumpets, first seven congregations and the seven seals, and now the seven trumpets paralleling and matching up. So why does it end at that time? Well, because I believe since that time, God could have come at any time since then. So we're waiting on, he's waiting on us. Because as it says here, the rest of mankind who were not killed did not repent. We went through all his troubles, all his horrible times, Jerusalem being destroyed, these attacks on Europe, these attacks on the Roman Empire, the attacks on the Holy Roman Empire, these Islam conquests and these deaths, and again, Huns and the Vandals, and yet we're still here, people are still here, Jews are still here, Christianity is still here, the attack on the Bible, the Dark Ages, blotting out the Bible, and we still have the Bible. It's only one-third, it wasn't able to totally conquer, we're still here, praise God. And yet we haven't repented. We haven't surrendered to God. We haven't seen the results of our sins. We haven't acknowledged the results of our sins, of our turning away from God, our turning away from, on his Bible, uh, the, the distancing ourselves from the Messiah or from his word or from his commandments. And we're not repentant. We don't have a spirit of repentance as a whole. And thus we're still here. We're still worshiping the, gold, the idols of gold and silver, bronze, stone, wood, and plastic, and glass, and, and electronic, and wires. We're still worshiping the things of this earth. Still worshiping our pleasures and our ease. We still have our coliseums and our stadiums and our battles taking place in them. And we're still stuck here. And God wants to come back. And thus we have this long pause because he's waiting on us. Was it three or so times? Rest of mankind did, did not repent of their works, and did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities, two different times. They're not in repentance. But if my people who are called by my name will pray to me and confess their sin, God will heal the land and will deliver us. He's waiting on us to pray and pray sincerely and pray with a spirit of repentance, acknowledging our need of him, accepting the Messiah's sacrifice. Again, come full circle to that altar that had incense, the prayers of the saints, but anointed with the sacrifice of the Messiah, his death in our behalf, sensing our need of him, 
sensing our need of his intercession in our behalf, him praying for us, him coming before the throne of God for us, pleading our cause, granting us forgiveness because of what he has done in our behalf. When we come to him, that type of prayer, when we come to that, him with intercessory prayer, coming to the altar of prayer and praying for others, praying for this world, praying for the lost, praying for those who don't know God, praying for the multitudes who've never read the Bible, never heard of the Bible. We haven't repented of our lack, lackness, our laziness and our Laodicean state that we're in, not taking this gospel to the world. We've had all this time and we haven't taken the gospel to the world. We saw in that one timeline, we saw Islam, the amount of growth that it's had in just the last 20 or 30 years. There's no reason the gospel hasn't grown that much and more so. I guess it was 70 years, 70 or so years since 1948. We should be home by now. We shouldn't still be here. And thus we get still another two more chapters describing the state that we're in and it will aptly and accurately describe the exact state that we're in. And on another night, we'll do the next two chapters. But for the meantime, we're still stuck here. Okay, so here's our timelines again, starting from the Daniel 2. And we see the time periods taking us to Yeshua's second coming. And we see that with Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9. 10, 11, 12. And now we have Revelation in green, Revelation 2 and 3, and Revelation 6 and 7 in brown, and now Revelation 8, 9, and 11 in this purple, and covering this basically same time period. Basically the same seven time periods. A little bit, some a little bit longer, some a little bit shorter than, than it was in the seals or the, or the uh, congregations. Still basically matching up. Is describing different things. Describing the congregations, the religious aspect, here the wars or the judgments. Taking us through these seven time periods to earth's history. So I believe God is revealing us and the purpose of this. It's not again so, so some fantasical thing in the, that it's in the future. But so that we can know the day we're living in. We can know we're at the very end. We're between the sixth and seventh trumpet. There's not much left to happen. Almost nothing left to happen. Almost everything has already happened. And we throw it all into the future. Well, then there's a lot that needs to happen. And so there's a whole lot. So I can get on with my life. I can continue doing with my life because let us eat, drink, and, and be merry because he's not coming for a long time. But no, he is coming soon. And this reveals that. We're at the very end. He's coming. Ready or not, here I come. Right? And so let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the day we're living in, that we can know the day we're living in. And thank you that we can hasten your coming. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our selfishness and our pride and our bickering and our fighting, our judgmentalism. Forgive us for our idol worship and our selfishness, our greed, our materialism. Cleanse our hearts and minds. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us with a love for you and a love for others. 
Fill us with that latter rain, Holy Spirit power, to take your gospel to the world and warn the world. When this gospel is preached in all the world, then the end shall come. So use us in hastening that coming by spreading your word into all the world. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.